Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Earthquake Science Center seminar for August 3, 2022. Um, we are very excited to be having a seminar today. And if you're here, that means that you found the correct link. Congratulations. Um, so before we begin, please remember, as usual, mute your microphone and turn off your camera, um, unless you're supposed to be here. And um, we have one quick announcement before we begin today. The USGS NASA colloquium that was scheduled for August 18 has been canceled. Um, hopefully going to be rescheduled for the fall. Thanks to Sarah Munson for keeping us up to date on that, and we're, we're hoping it will eventually happen. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it off to Sarah McBride to introduce Robbie. Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to introduce Robbie Goldman. Robbie has been a mentee of mine for about, what, two years, Robbie? About yeah, two, two and a half. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm a research social scientist at the Earthquake Science Center. Um, Robbie is a PhD candidate and NSF graduate fellow at the Department of Geology at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Um, it's Champaign, right? Or a campaign? Yes, that, that's correct. Exactly. Okay, good. Got it. Um, Robbie is a really interesting interdisciplinary researcher. He came to me as a volcanologist, and I think he leaves with leaves my menteeship with being more of a, a hybrid now of understanding social science a little bit better and being able to publish in social science, uh, as well as someone who uh, studies the mechanics of eruptions that occur on the sides or flanks of volcanoes. Robbie's also really interested in the risks that eruptions pose to people and is looking for tools and strategies for scientists and hazard communicators so that they can convey timely and accurate eruption information to the public. Uh, Robbie is um, has been a U.S. graduate a student fellow uh, as a Fulbright. He has worked at the USRA uh, as a Lunar Planetary Summer Intern, and he graduated. He's from Pomona College, right? That's where you got your bachelor's, correct? Yes. Yes, uh, from Pomona College. Um, so thank you so much, Robbie, for being here and being our um, seminar speaker today. Robbie, I now hand it over to you. Great. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction, Sarah, and thanks to all of you for hosting me today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to uh, finally visit um, Moffett Field in person. Uh, so my talk today is titled Be Social, Science Communication During the 2018 Kilauea Eruption. And I decided to be a little cheeky in um, putting the word social science together because, as Sarah mentioned, um, I have delved into uh, social science as uh, part of my PhD, and in particular uh, for an investigation, a set of investigations, understanding the role of various hazard communications during the 2018 eruption of Kilauea volcano in Hawaii. Um, I've done this work uh, in collaboration with Sarah, as well as two um, volcanologists at the survey, uh, Wendy Stovall uh, at uh, CBO and Yellowstone Volcano Observatory, and David Danby, uh, who's part of CalBio. So as Sarah mentioned, I am a PhD candidate and NSF graduate research fellow at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. My primary research advisor is Dr. Trish Gregg. Uh, Trish's specialties range from understanding uh, mid-ocean ridge volcanism to uh, forecasting, to probabilistic forecasting of uh, eruptions from various volcanic systems. And the uh, first component of my PhD, which has recently been accepted for publication in a journal of geophysical research, Solid Earth, uh, focuses on understanding how eruptions occur on the flanks or sides of volcanoes by studying uh, the stresses that form uh, between the pressurization of a central magma source, uh, often referred to as a magma chamber, beneath the volcano, and the um, weight of the volcano that's built up from that magma chamber and how those two competing forces uh, influence the pathways of intrusions like dikes that then reach the surface and erupt. Um, during my time in Illinois, which began in January of 2017, um, I had the pleasure of um, doing a number of outreach activities, uh, my favorite of which is the uh, trash cano demonstration, which uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, involves simulating the pressurization and eventual rupture of a magma system, uh, resulting in a plume of water coming from um, a large trash can that's um, fueled by uh, liquid nitrogen that's pressurized within a soda bottle. Uh, and the picture on the bottom left here is uh, of me in New Zealand back in 2016 during my Fulbright, where I initiated 
uh, my research into understanding flank eruptions from a Miocene-aged volcano uh, in the South Island. Um, so my paper that's coming out, uh, hopefully within the next month or so, is called Stress Control of Dike Deflection and Flank Eruption at Akaroa Volcano, New Zealand. So um, just keep an eye out uh, for that. Now, my talk today is on something um, quite different from the mechanics of volcanic eruptions. Uh, and the original inspiration for me to look into uh, volcano hazard communication came from a talk that I just happened to sort of stumble upon uh, during the uh, 2018 GSA annual meeting in Indianapolis. So essentially next door to Illinois. Uh, this talk was given by none other than Wendy Stovall. And it was about the social media response by the USGS Volcanoes group during the 2018 eruption. And one uh, result that really caught my eye uh, from this talk is the fact that um, as shown in the yellow, um, the amount of users um, who engaged with USGS Volcanoes page skyrocketed uh, from the month leading up to the eruption, which is shown in this red box on the lower left corner, uh, to the four month duration of that actual eruption. And this black dashed line in particular shows the percentage of users located in the state of Hawaii. And that also jumped from a percent to less than a percent, um, all the way up to um, an average of 40%. And so, this demonstrated quite clearly that not only did the social media response uh, generate um, a lot of public attention, but it also um, garnered quite a bit of attention from Hawaii where the actual eruption was occurring. So uh, the following semester, I reached out to Wendy uh, to express interest in uh, a collaborative uh, research project through my NSF fellowship to look at this communication response uh, from the 2018 eruption. And along the way, um, David Damby joined on to our group um, to provide guidance on both the um, social media communication and data acquisition uh, side of things, as well as um, showing me the ropes with um, how science is done at HVO, uh, which I visited in January of 2020. I also happened to meet Sarah McBride uh, at a workshop um, on geoscience communication held at the Lucy Jones Center in Los Angeles, where I ended up uh, spending uh, 2019. Uh, Los Angeles is actually where I grew up, which was why I was um, over there. And at the time, I, I had a sense that there might be something further than just this random meetup, which is why I asked her to take this picture with me. Um, but uh, it wouldn't be until a year later that we actually uh, became uh, formal research collaborators. So, um, as I said, in 2020, I uh, visited Hawaii, uh, where I conducted a set of in-person interviews with residents from various parts of the Big Island. And I also took the opportunity to uh, participate in a few activities associated with HVO's Volcano Awareness Month. And Tina Neal was very gracious in hosting me um, at the observatory and um, with uh, providing me the opportunity to uh, meet with other volcanologists and also to um, meet with other residents at various um, community meetings, such as this uh, meeting at Ocean View, where this picture was taken from. Um, so then the funny thing about the timing of this particular uh, visit was that, as you know, it was two months before this COVID pandemic that we're all stuck in. Um, I was originally actually going to be up at the Cascades Volcano Observatory uh, to do my research, but as soon as the pandemic hit, um, it made more sense for me to just be with family uh, back in Los Angeles. And thankfully, uh, the work that I've carried out since has been able to be accomplished remotely. Um, and thankfully, that also allowed me to be in touch with Sarah and David and Wendy um, remotely through Teams. So that's um, a nice silver lining of uh, the current situation. And I'd like to uh, shout out to Scott Graham for uh, being really helpful with providing me that remote access and um, a laptop to use um, to access my USGS uh, communications. So uh, from 2020 uh, up to now, um, I worked on this project looking at uh, social media and overall hazard communication during the uh, 2018 eruption. And for reasons that I'll explain shortly, this ended up branching into two separate projects. 
the first of which, uh, based on the interviews that I did in January of 2020, um, is now accepted for publication in the journal Volcanica and going through the final stages of internal review with the USGS. And the second paper, uh, which is based on the USGS Volcano social media response, is currently in review uh, with the journal Frontiers in Communication. So um, as some of you are well aware, uh, Kilauea's 2018 eruption was the largest um, experienced on the island in 200 years. Uh, a variety of hazards were associated with this eruption um, in three geographically disparate re regions. So the first of these is the lower east rift zone, which is broadly represented by this um, orange uh, coral colored area. And in particular, these purple splotches here represent the lava flows that emerged from the fissure eruptions that um, were part of this uh, eruption event. Uh, another region that was impacted by the eruption is the summit, uh, and I've indicated in yellow, in, it includes uh, the towns of Volcano Village and Volcano Golf Course, and it's adjacent to the summit caldera of Kilauea, uh, which uh, early in the eruption um, experienced um, smoke, uh, experienced um, explosive events from its um, evacuating lava lake. Um, that eventually gave way to larger scale caldera collapses uh, in the uh, final two months of the eruption. Uh, finally, uh, in the southwestern Ka'u district, shown here in gray, um, ash and um, sulfur dioxide emissions from both the Lower East Rift Zone and the summit region affected air quality um, and uh, presented um, with ash in particular, a new type of hazard to residents uh, in this distant region. And so um, understanding how these hazards have impacted each of these communities was an, and getting information to those communities was an important part of this um, eruption response. Um, and as a result, information needed to be communicated through a variety of channels to use the terminology of Berlo uh, in uh, 1960. So, uh, Channels that were used included in-person community meetings uh, held um, as a partnership between uh, U.S. Geological Survey and uh, hazard management agencies on the Big Island. Uh, there are also a series of press briefings and news broadcasts featuring HVO scientists. Um, eruption updates were also provided on print newspapers as well as the websites of news organizations. Uh, the website of the USGS Hawaiian Volcano Observatory was the official source of all eruption-related updates. And with this particular eruption event, uh, social media uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube uh, provided a, a relatively new means for getting information out uh, to a broad uh, swath of the public uh, in a fairly short amount of time. And this is really important because uh, as conducted by Pew Research, uh, a large portion of Americans now regularly get their news on social media, including a third of all U.S. adults who regularly get news on Facebook and over half of Twitter users who get their news on that social media site. So understand being able to communicate uh, hazard information on these platforms is very important. So coming into this research project, uh, my motivating question was understanding how helpful or effective were USGS Volcanoes social media communications compared with more traditional channels, such as TV news broadcasts, HVO's website, or the websites of news pages, radio broadcasts of press briefings, etc. And to uh, carry out this work, um, I ended up completing two uh, complementary investigations. So the first of these were a series of exploratory in-person interviews that I conducted on the Big Island of Hawaii in January of 2020. And the second of these was um, an analysis of uh, public conversation threads on the USGS Volcanoes Facebook page uh, from various points in the 2018 eruption. So for the first part of uh, the remainder of this talk, I'll uh, summarize um, how I carried out and what I found out from the in-person interviews. So what I did was I met up with residents in each of the three regions that were impacted by eruption hazards. So again, the Lower East Rift Zone in orange, Summit in yellow, 
Kau uh, in gray. And the pie chart on the map uh, just shows the number of people that I talked to from each of these regions, which is roughly proportional to the populations of those regions. And um, for each interview, um, I either sat down uh, with interview participant and um, had a semi-structured conversation where going off of a formal survey of questions, um, I asked um, my interview participant uh, what types of information they relied on, uh, who the communicators of that information were, what their thoughts were about the usefulness of the information and about those various communicators, um, and any other thoughts that they had um, from that time. Um, sometimes uh, residents would simply fill out the survey by hand. Uh, most of the time I had conversations that lasted anywhere from half an hour to up to two hours. And the reason why I took the time took this time for a lot of my interview conversations is because of the importance of uh, talk story uh, in Hawaii or the process of establishing a connection with someone um, on island and just learn, you know, mutually sharing each other's experiences. Uh, for example, I actually have Native Hawaiian ancestry on my mom's side of the family. I have family living in Oahu, Hawaii. Uh, so that's actually one reason I've been very interested in learning about this particular eruption response. Um, so um, anyway, so that's um, how I carried out my interview conversations. And in these conversations, there are 32 questions, 26 of which were on a Likert type scale, which is essentially a, one, a five point scale where on a scale from one to five, what did you think about this particular mode of communication? Um, so uh as an example uh the first two questions i asked my interview participants uh were about community meetings that were held um in various parts of the island in which usgs volcano scientists among others uh provided information about uh the ongoing eruption and answered uh residents questions and so the first question on top simply asked uh if participants uh attended any of these community meetings and if so how many and then the second question uses this five point Likert type scale where I asked to what extent did they feel that attending community wide meetings during the eruption? How did that improve? How well did it improve their understanding of volcano hazards where one was not at all? Five was uh, very greater to the best maximum possible extent. How well did it answer their questions about the eruption and collapse of the summit caldera? And for community meetings in particular, uh, to what extent did it confirm their trust in HVO? And how well do these community meetings help them feel equipped, better equipped to respond to the eruption? And the way that I plotted these data um, was by using bar charts. And I've color coded these bar charts by the three regions. So red uh, represents Lower East Rift Zone or the layers. Summit is in yellow and the Kau uh, region is in the gray and white stripes. And something that you'll notice in this plot is that there is um, a grouping of um, scores that are largely controlled by uh, residents' regions. So you'll see that the yellow bars are largely concentrated at the upper end of the Likert type scale. Um, for the one Kau participant who did report attending meetings, um, they gave um, all fives. Whereas with the Lower East Rift Zone, the um, the, the perception or feedback was a little more mixed, still mostly positive, but more spread out compared with uh, the other, uh, the participants from the other regions. Similarly, uh, I asked participants about uh, their usage of the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory's website uh, on the left. And here you'll see that um, a, a great majority of interview participants used this website regularly, uh, regardless of region, and had uh, quite positive uh, perceptions of the usefulness of that website. Um, and I'll also note that for HVO's website, as well as a number of other channels that I asked interview participants about subsequently, there's this trend where um, the highest scores were given for improving their understanding, slightly lower, but still high scores for under, uh, answering users' questions. And then uh, there tended to be a lower uh, scores for feeling equipped to respond. And a major reason um, for this is the fact that 
the USGS's main, main purview is to provide eruption accurate uh, hazard related information uh, to uh, the public and to guide emergency management, but to not actually explicitly recommend steps to take. Um, so, but you'll still notice that among LAIR's participants in red, there's a wider distribution of um, perceptions of uh, this channel compared with um, residents from the other regions uh, that I visited. Uh, regarding uh, government text email alerts, which are things like uh, VNS or uh, the volcano notification system, which sends automated messages um, summarizing the current state of a volcano or its eruption. And this received more mixed feedback uh, compared with uh, the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory's website. Um, now, originally when I conducted these interviews, uh, my focus was on understanding the role of specific channels from HVO's website to uh, traditional news media like radio, um, television, et cetera, and social media. One thing that my co-authors and I realized though, um, as we were uh, looking through my interview survey results is that there's actually, and, and something that I've mentioned already in the bar charts is that there's this, in, this um, influence of actual region that my interview participants uh, resided in during the eruption that has a noticeable effect on how they perceive the actual channels that were used. And so um, we use the terminology of sources and messengers to describe any communicator of eruption information. A source is someone who is the original curator or, or provider of eruption information. And in this case, that would be the US Geological Survey and Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. Um, whereas messengers are anyone who conveys that information um, to um, publics or uh, people receiving that information, such as Hawaii's residents or uh, users on social media. And messengers also can include uh, Hawaiian Volcano Observatory or USGS scientists, as well as uh, news media reporters. And a third category of communicators, which I refer to as community messengers, these are people who are based on the island of Hawaii, who provided information either by being eyewitness sources or by acting as um, unofficial citizen journalists in conveying eruption information to their communities um, in a capacity differing from um, news media or the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. So one question I asked interview participants uh, was to um, provide their perceptions of uh, three qualities uh, among each of these uh, main sources of messengers. So um, these three, again, are the USGS Hawaiian Volcano Observatory and USGS in general, um, community messengers, and uh, official news media. And the three, the three metrics I asked about, the three characteristics I asked about are, to what extent do you think that the following organizations or people were knowledgeable about, or sorry, are knowledgeable present tense about volcanic eruptions, hazards, and impacts? were able to provide you with factual information during the 2018 eruption, and were able to quickly provide you with information about the 2018 eruption. And so I've summarized these three points as knowledge, accuracy, and promptness. And looking at HVO, you'll see that similar to uh, participants' um, responses to uh, HVO's website and to uh, community meetings, there's an overall positive perception uh, with a concentration of a higher concentration um, of summit and Kau participants providing scores in the four or five range, whereas Lair's participants had a more um, spread out distribution. Now, by contrast, uh, when I asked about community messengers, uh, Lair's participants provided um, much more consistently high uh, feedback of these community messengers, and in particular, this one group based in the Lairs known as Hawaii Tracker. And um, I've indicated that particular group with red and white uh, diamonds uh, since they came up um, very frequently, um, more frequently than any other uh, community messenger group that uh, participants um, shared with me. So, um, and by contrast to uh, 
the HVO responses, uh, only one summit participant reported following community messengers regularly and only two out of six Maikau participants. So you can see there's this uh, inverse result where you have this higher concentration of layers participants providing higher, uh, more positive feedback providing very positive feedback uh, for community messengers uh, compared with HVO. Um, and then news media, uh, so anything from uh, national news organizations to uh, local news stations um, received um, very mixed feedback overall, uh, regardless of uh, interview participants' uh, region of residence. Though uh, something interesting that I found among a minority of participants is that those who emphasized following local news only, so news based on the Big Island of Hawaii, um, which is illustrated by these bars that are uh, enclosed in these blue boxes, they had higher overall um, assessments or more positive assessments overall of those local news sources compared with uh, news media responses overall. So um, this was an interesting finding that came about from looking at sources and messengers of information as the main factor in um, residents' uh, perceptions of how helpful that information was. And taking a look at other channels of communication, such as traditional media channels, you'll see that like with um, participants' response towards uh, news media messengers overall, their uh, perceptions of news media channels uh, was also quite mixed, though again, uh, residents who relied solely on local channels uh, rated them uh, higher than uh, participants who uh, followed news media in general or didn't discriminate between the different um, types. And then here's a comparison of the frequency of um, users' engagement with HVO's various channels or government-related channels. So again, here is HVO's website. Here are text email alerts or the VNS alerts, volcano notification system. And then here are the here's the community meeting attendance. And again, this is uh, follows the pattern of um, summit and well, I guess in the case of community meetings, mostly summit participants uh, attending those frequently. But um, with regard to the other modes of communication, summit and Kahu participants following those more frequently than layers. And then finally, for Facebook messengers, uh, layers community messengers, and particularly the group Hawaii Tracker, made frequent use of social media, particularly Facebook, uh, to communicate information quickly uh, to a large uh, swath of the Lower East Rift Zone community. And so as a result, um, these messengers uh, were followed very frequently um, by layers participants, um, whereas among the people that I talked with, um, only a minority ended up following USGS volcanoes regularly, um, and very few followed the pages of their friends, family, or neighbors. So after understanding these regional trends in our interview participants' uh, um, use of information during the 2018 eruption, I picked out four qualitative themes uh, from notes that I took of um, our longer conversations. Uh, so these include these. So these themes describe um, residents' perceptions of various qualities of the communicators of eruption information, and these include relevance or the accessibility, clarity, or usefulness of information provided by um, a, a communicator. So how how relevant is it to me who's concerned about my well-being or um, the likelihood that this eruption is going to impact my property or my friends? Um, expertise or the knowledge or factual accuracy demonstrated in the information or the communication of that information by a given source or messenger. The pace or the regularity and promptness of information delivery over the course of the eruption. And sincerity, uh, which describes honesty, transparency, or perception of good faith coming from each source or messenger. And expertise and pace um, was covered um, in my quantitative Likert type questions about um, residents perceived um, evaluations of communicators, uh, knowledge, accuracy, and promptness. 
whereas relevance and sincerity are themes I picked up uh, solely from the actual conversations I had with interview participants. So um, to understand the importance of these various themes that came up in my interview conversations, um, I ended up plotting uh, something called a radar chart, which uh, instead of plotting results on two axes, so having um, a horizontal axis and a vertical axis, um, the vertical axis is now radial. So essentially, the farther up towards the corners of this plot a given polygon reaches, the higher that particular theme was among um, the residents that I talked with. And so these are these um, diamonds represent um, an overall summary of um, how people from uh, the regions of Hawaii that I visited um, felt about each communicator of information. So in this chart, the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory is represented in blue. Community messengers are represented by this red outline and news media organizations are represented by this gray diamond. And what you'll see overall is that Hawaiian Volcano Observatory um, has a fairly balanced um, perception among uh, all participants with very strong uh, perceptions and being sincere, having expertise, and in the pacing of the information they delivered. Uh, the one part where they got mixed um, feedback was in how relevant the information was to particular participants. Uh, news media received lower scores overall, uh, particularly in sincerity, uh, and this has to do with participants' feedback about news reports often being sensationalized. And then community messengers had very high marks in relevance, sincerity, and the pacing of their information, but mixed uh, feedback in terms of their expertise. And one thing I would like to note is that um, the expertise is heavily skewed by region. So um, you'll see that for this uh, chart on the right, which comes just from Lower East Rift Zone participants, um, the scores for, or the uh, residents' perceptions of community messengers, which again are shown in red overall, um, are higher than the other two groups of messengers. I've indicated in these uh, cyan or light blue dots, uh, the group Hawaii Tracker, which received um, overwhelmingly positive feedback or, or a majority of very positive feedback among interview participants. Um, and then compared with all other community messengers who uh, had lower uh, perceived expertise. Now, this is in contrast to um, residents who live in the summit or Kau regions who overwhelmingly um, had positive feedback for the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory in light blue. Uh, lower perceived, um, lower positive perceptions for news media. And then in the Kau region, both the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory and news media uh, were perceived to uh, perform well in each of these four themes, uh, with local news media in the red dots um, showing um, even higher um, positive, receiving higher positive regard uh, from those interview participants. And so um, something that my co-authors and I took away from these results is the fact that um, the feedback from various participants and the regional dependence of that feedback touches on um, this concept of trustworthiness and credibility that's uh, part of the communication literature um, and that um, helps describe why there's this regional distribution or regional variations in uh, participants' uh, perceived um, feedback or, or perceptions of each uh, communicator. And so to conclude this portion of the talk, um, residents living in areas impacted by eruption hazards, preferred information channels managed by or featuring the sources of manager messengers, they viewed as being the most trusted and credible. Uh, and in the summit, this was uh, primarily HVO. In the Lower East Rift zone, zone, this involved community messengers. 
And in the Kawu region, this involved a combination of HVO and local news media. While HVO is considered an expert source of information by layers participants, uh, some felt that their eruption information was overly technical or not provided quickly or regularly, uh, which is why uh, there were lower positive scores from those participants regarding HVO compared with community messengers. Um, and these same residents praised those community messengers for providing what they felt were timely and easily um, understandable information. And news media were the least trusted messengers overall, although, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Kawu participants um, provided uh, more positive feedback than residents of other regions. And this may have been because they had relied on local news media more because of the fact that they were located much farther away from these other messengers, such as uh, HVO and the Lairs, Lower East Rift Zone community messengers. Um, and so just as a matter of practicality, news media ended up being um, their most reliable source. And the implications of these findings for future hazard communication are that um, U.S. Geological Survey and other, other science geohazard monitoring agencies um, should continue to maintain broad access to official sources and messenger, or let me rephrase that. So communities that are located in uh, regions that are at risk for geohazards, such as volcanic eruptions, and this can be extended to earthquake hazards as well, um, they need broad access to official sources and messengers of eruption information, such as uh, scientists at hazard monitoring agencies like the U.S. Geological Survey um, or uh, hazard managers. Um, and in particular, having pro uh, being provided with plain language versions um, of that information to complement the more technical updates that are often found on the official websites of these agencies, such as ACRIO's website, um, is something that um, I learned would be a benefit to um, publics in general. Um, and then continuing to build relationships that promote trust and credibility of official sources and messengers of hazard information among these impacted communities um, leads to um, those communities following that information more regularly. Um, and the fact that community messengers in Hawaii uh, played a significant role in providing information to residents of the Lower East Rift Zone um, means that um, in some capacity, um, these messengers are an important part of the response, even if they're um, not the official messengers. Um, and one thing that was actually surprising to me, given the, uh, the findings that Wendy Stovall reported uh, in her talk at GSA and at AGU in 2018, is that Hawaii residents that I talked with weren't actually familiar or very familiar with USGS Volcanoes uh, social media. Um, so um, one reason for this may be that USGS is not inherently linked to the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, which has a much more local presence um, among and from and name recognition among residents of the Big Island of Hawaii. So potentially providing a more direct link between those two could increase uh, user engagement from Hawaii uh, with uh, USGS social media. So the second part of my talk is on um, the actual social media communications provided by USGS Volcanoes. And in the interest of time, um, I'm just going to summarize um, the methodology and some key findings uh, from uh, this uh, portion of our uh, investigation. So. In a nutshell, I looked at uh, 16 uh, Facebook posts uh, that were provided by the U.S. Geological Survey during the 2018 eruption. And the comment threads uh, that were publicly visible and posted in response uh, to uh, these posts. And I used a variety of methods uh, to get at the question of, what role did the did uh, USGS Volcanoes Facebook communications play in informing uh, users about eruption events? And I looked at two sets of data. So on a smaller scale, which I've highlighted in yellow, 
I looked at these Facebook posts and I chose Facebook posts that had at least 100 comments and had the highest user reach or um, appeared on the Facebook uh, news feeds of the highest number of users uh, to get a sense of um, what aspects of these conversations or the information contained within them um, engage so much so many people. Um, and for this smaller data set, um, I used a mixture of qualitative and quantitative approaches. So qualitatively, I performed what is called a qualitative thematic analysis, um, which involves looking at the individual uh, posts uh, or the individual comments that were posted on the Facebook page uh, to uh, get a sense of what um, themes were important. So similar to how I picked up those four themes of relevance, sincerity, pace, and expertise uh, from my interview conversations, I determined uh, a few key themes from looking at these Facebook conversations to better understand how these conversations were impacting the public. And then I um, incorporated um, quantitative approaches that involved comparing the relative frequency of each of the themes I picked up on uh, from my qualitative analysis. And on the bottom row, um, I did, I looked at a much larger data set of uh, roughly 22,000 comments posted throughout the entire eruption response, as well as the month preceding the eruption, uh, to get a sense of um, two things, two factors. One, how users' emotions varied over time. And number two, uh, the prevalence of certain uh, common uh, topics of rumors or misinformation. So, in the interest of time, um, I'm just going to walk through how I did a qualitative analysis for this example conversation thread, uh, which uh, concerns information that was provided by the US Geological Survey or USGS Volcanoes Group uh, on May 19th uh, when there were there is an extensive lava flow coming from uh, one of the fissures uh, during the erup the early eruption sequence. So on top, uh, a non-USGS user asks uh, whether there have been attempts to divert the flow, uh, given that there appears to be a risk of the lava flow topping over and um, impacting uh, surrounding communities. And this is a, a comment that receives a direct answer from USGS Volcanoes. And it's a comment that has what I consider negative sentiments of fear or concern about the eruption event. USGS Volcanoes then provided a direct answer saying that flow diversion is not an option just because of the sheer strength and the hazardous nature of this lava flow and provided uh, historic background on previous attempts that didn't end up working out. The uh, user who asked the question then um, expressed that they understood and thanked USGS Volcanoes for the response. And I uh, coded this or organized or labeled this as being a positive sentiment, so a sentiment of gratitude. And then subsequently, there were non-USGS users um, who chipped in uh, complimenting USGS Volcanoes answer uh, to explain the cultural aspects of uh, Native Hawaiians being against the idea of uh, diverting the lava flow uh, and the fact that the lava flow can spread out, but that um, there are also levees that are formed by the um, uh, cooling lava on the margins. And so the two overarching themes that I picked up on uh, from looking at this and many other conversations um, is the theme of eruption sense-making or essentially question and answer. Um, how responsive essentially were USGS volcanoes and non-USGS users to questions of other non-USGS users. And then the other th main theme I picked up on is expressed sentiment. Um, how positive or negative or mixed were the emotions uh, contained within uh, users' individual comments. Um, now, 
unfortunately, <laughs> I um, have a lot more information here than I'll have time to cover in today's talk. But um, one thing I want to end on is when I looked at the much larger data set of 22,000 comments uh, posted throughout the uh, volcano response. Uh, there are two sets of themes that I, I looked at, or sorry, two sets of rumors, two sets of rumor topics that I looked at based on conversations uh, of these topics on the Facebook pages that I qualitatively analyzed. So the blue uh, plot here shows rumors about uh, the Puna geothermal venture, which is a geothermal plant in the Lower East Rift Zone that has historically experienced a lot of distrust from members of that community um, and misconceptions or rumors about their link to the actual eruption event. And then in beige, I have a series of other rumors related to catastrophic events supposedly being imminent from the eruption, such as um, the uh, occurrence of a catastrophic landslide from the Helena slump or the south flank of Kilauea volcano, or some connection between Kilauea and the ever popular Yellowstone uh, volcanic system. And what you'll see is that the um, PGV related rumors were concentrated in a very specific moment of time, which turns out to be related to specific posts that um, focused on an event occurring near that region, uh, whereas the other rumors were more distributed throughout the course of the eruption. And then the other thing I want to touch on is the fact that by doing a simple word search uh, for thank or mahalo or words just expressing gratitude, um, I found that um, this gratitude was pretty consistent um, with users overall engagement. So the overall user comments are provided in this uh, dark black, uh, this black dashed line and the occurrence of thank in dark blue, of thank and USGS in uh, light blue, just like pale blue here, etc. They tend to track very closely with overall user engagement, which suggests that um, there was an active presence of both USGS volcanoes answering users' questions and of uh, other users answering questions overall. And one fun thing I did, um, which I'll wrap up this talk with, is I used this open source sentiment uh, um, analysis tool called Vader uh, to um, understand how user sentiment varied through time. And one really interesting finding from that sentiment analysis is the fact that this red dashed line here shows the overall sentiment score that users had and more positive scores or more positive sentiment is represented by a higher point on this graph and more negative is represented by a lower point. And what I found by doing a simple correlation coefficient calculation between this score and the occurrence of the word think among users throughout the eruption is that there's a moderate degree of correlation of 0.6 out of one. Um, and in particular, there are a few other visually um, correlating peaks between uh, this compound sentiment and uh, the occurrence of mahalo or the Hawaiian word for thank, as well as towards the end of the eruption, thank and USGS or a comment that is thanking US Geological Survey in particular. And so while this is a uh, more preliminary finding, it's also um, has really interesting implications for under for the role that sentiment analysis can play in understanding um, how helpful or how responsive different communicators on social media are. And so um, I'll just wrap up uh, by uh, stating that USGS Volcano social media provided unique and important opportunities for USGS volcanologists to have two-way dialogues with members of the public, including Hawaii residents. Um, USGS scientists were supported by a community of informed users who assisted them in answering other users' questions and correcting misinformation. The frequency of misinformative posts varied over time, with some rumors being initiated through particular posts, such as the case with PGV and posts about blue methane flames in the area, uh, while others had a more regular occurrence, such as the catastrophic landslide that I talked, uh, landslide rumor that I talked about. And um, 
through this project, I learned that evaluating the social media communications of the US Geological Survey, and by extension, other official science or geohazard monitoring agencies, requires a holistic accounting of both the qualitative interactions between official mes messengers and the public, as well as understanding the broader quantifiable metrics uh, to uh, get the most complete picture of how these communications occurred, what their benefits were, what lessons can be learned. Um, so with that, I'll open my talk up to questions uh, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Robbie. Um, looks like we can take some questions now. And Ruth Harris already put one in the chat. So I guess I can start by reading that one. It says, hi, Robbie, I'm enjoying your seminar and learning a lot. One question I have is if you shared the information about your Hawaiian heritage with the people you interviewed, and if you did share this information, did it make a difference in how forthcoming the interviewees were in answering the survey questions? Thank you, Ruth. Uh, that is a good question. Um, from what I recall, when I introduced myself, uh, so I had a little uh, blurb that I gave uh, as part of the start of my interview conversations. And in that blurb, I mentioned that I had family in Hawaii. So all of my interview participants knew from that introduction that I have that Hawaiian connection. Um, for some participants, it, it factored more uh, deeply in our conversation. And those participants also were more forthcoming in their opinions of uh, the uh, eruption communication response, but I can't say for sure whether that's because the participants, um, it may have been a combination of those participants feeling more comfortable, feeling like there's more of a connection between the two of us, and because they already um, were interested in what I had to say because of the fact that we had deeper conversations. So I think it was a combination of both, but I would not be surprised if that uh, if my heritage did factor into participants being more forthcoming. Makes sense. It's pretty cool. Um, I think we have a raised hand um, from Sue Huff. Do you want to? Yeah, and I, for some reason I can't see the chat, but yeah, thank you for the talk. To comment very briefly on Ruth's question, I went up to Ridgecrest and when I told people that I had family roots there, I definitely noticed a change in the reception to me that I wasn't just a scientist coming in, but I was more of someone they could see as an insider. But I had two two questions. Um, the talk was really interesting, and maybe I can ask both the questions together. They're sort of related regarding the survey that you undertook. And I had to step out for about two minutes, so apologies if I missed this. But the first question is how you chose those participants. Yes. And the second is whether people have thought about using internet-based technologies to cast a wider net. Could you be more specific about what you mean by internet technologies? Well, so the earthquake science community collects thousands of responses of what people felt during earthquakes. So if you right. wanted to collect, I mean, obviously you wouldn't have the same level of engagement, but if you wanted to collect information from much bigger user groups. I mean, the, the, the internet could clearly facilitate that. Right. But the first okay. question is where, and I and again, apologize, apologies yeah. if you explain this, but where those people came from? Yeah, so, yes, yeah, so both good questions. Um, I actually did not cover this uh, in the talk, but um, the way, so I, I did a, I basically, made contacts through um, the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, USGS scientists, as well as um, a retired scientist, uh, Rick Hazlitt, who actually is also a Pomona alumnus, uh, who knew members of various communities that were good starting points for me to talk to. And then uh, from those conversations, um, I got a few more recommendations for people to talk to. But then I also, uh, randomly, uh, well, I also attended several farmers markets um, and also a booth at the uh, University of Hilo's campus um, just with uh, basic information about uh, my inter the uh, asking participants to uh, provide their feedback on 
uh, the eruption response. Uh, so that, I guess, I ended up talking with people. I didn't seek out particular people other than the few who were recommended to me through the U.S. Geological Survey. Um, there was not really a particular demographic that I targeted. I tried having a balance in terms of gender, but otherwise um, I talked with uh, whoever uh, came up to my table, for example, uh, to share their story about the eruption. And I made sure to attend farmers markets in different parts of each of the regions. So uh, I guess there's just one market here up in the summit region, which this picture was taken from. And then I attended a few different markets in the Lower East Rift Zone and uh, two different markets in Kau. So it was a mix of sort of randomly talking with people who came up to my, my table and seeking out particular people that were recommended to me. And then to answer your second question about use of internet technologies, um, I guess the first thing I'll say is that there are definitely uh, there's definitely a broader set of information that we did not have access to within the social media analysis, such as users' geographic location that um, may have been helpful in understanding um, the distribution of users in Hawaii and what regions of Hawaii, which could then guide um, our understanding of whether that information was getting out to those particular communities or not. Um, I think also, um, the uh, having internet having providing these technologies to uh, publics does depend on those people's inf uh, access to the infrastructure of those technologies. So a few of the participants I talked to actually did not have very good internet or cellular reception. So that limited their ability to engage through social media, for example. Um, but I think it's something that I can't really speak to it more directly than those particular um, cases. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that expanding the use of uh, various internet tools, uh, particularly through social media, has a lot of implications for broadening the hazard response, if that answers your question. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, Sarah McBride put, it looks like a comment in the chat, but maybe you want to respond to this. Um, she wrote, it's important to note that this is not a representative sample survey. It was a pilot study that was more ethnographic in nature. It means it's informative rather than indicative. Yeah. Um, well, we've maybe got one minute left if anyone else wants to pipe in real quick. Um, but if not, then, oh, we go ahead, go ahead, Max. Thanks, Avi, for the great talk. And, and maybe just to piggyback off of Sue's question and, and this whole idea, um, how do you think your results in this like pilot study, ethno ethnographic study would inform a larger scale, say online survey done with all users of an HVO website in order to understand how HVO online communications work? So I think that the results of the pilot study that I did, just for clarification, Max, like a, in the case of HVO's website, like a survey that's seeking to understand what users found useful about that website? Yeah, like your or, same research question about what's useful and effective about um, USGS volcanic communication. Yes. Um, So I guess the results of the survey would it would motivate me in a potential subsequent study to have questions that take into consideration use, uh, users' region of residence and trying to get a representative sample of uh, survey responders respondents from each of those regions. Um, and then being very clear about asking questions that touch on those four themes that I mentioned earlier in the talk, those themes of how relevant the information was, how uh, what users perceive of the expertise, I, I guess in this case of HVO, um, the pace of the information that they've received, in this case through HVO's website, and the their perceived sincerity of communications provided by HVO. Um, but I would probably also focus on those other channels of communication, since 
uh, a pattern I found regarding HBO's website is because it's a web page, it's a one directional, uh, it's information on a page, but it's not something that users are engaging with like in a conversation. And so you, it's not possible to get sort of that sense of like how sincere or how trustworthy or how much good faith is HBO demonstrating in these communications. Uh, so I would be, I would also ask participants about any other interactions they had either in person or maybe through social media um, to sort of broaden that uh, understanding of their perceptions of HVO's various communications. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. Okay, let's thank Robbie one more time. Um, and just a quick reminder, next week we are back at our regular link for the seminar. So now that you've successfully shown up at this link, you can delete it once you exit this meeting. And please go back to our regular link for next week. We're looking forward to seeing you all there. Thanks, Robbie. That was awesome.